welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, my friends. Welcome to you all. My name's Micah. If we haven't met, I'm glad you're here. If you don't have a Bible uh, and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis 28, so grab your Bible or there are pew, uh, Bibles in the pews in front of you. Um, you may notice that, well, maybe you didn't. I, I've, I rarely like walk around in tennis shoes, but today I'm wearing my running shoes and I'm wearing my Team World Vision t-shirt because next week there are a bunch of people running the Twin Cities Marathon, so... If you are running the Twin Cities Marathon next week, will you just stand up wherever you are? Stand up. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. A few of you who are running. Yes, yes. Fabulous. So we've been partnered with and connected to Team World Vision. So a number of these folks are running to raise money for clean water in Africa. Um, some of you were here when I announced I was going to run, and actually I intended to do so, and I, I got injured about halfway through the uh, the process and tried to get back in and it's not going to happen this year unfortunately so if you were thinking I'm running I'm not don't be confused I don't want anybody to think that I'm you know pretending like I am but then not because I'll be here next Sunday um, so that's uh, this isn't about me though it's about you guys so I'm excited for you all and we want to bless you and send you out and uh, and we're excited for that so run hard run long and finish this baby um, we, we had a new church that's starting this week. That's great. Andy mentioned that. Awaken East is, is meeting, so that's exciting. Keep them in your prayers and keep thinking about them. Go visit them from time to time. Say hello and uh, let them know that we're behind them and with them and, and praying for them. Um, so we are starting a, well, we started a new series last week called Eat This Book. And so for the next uh, school year, we're going to be in, a, uh, it's called the Narrative Lectionary. And so we're basically just going to walk from the beginning to the end. Um, and kind of picking uh, passages along the way. Uh, this is actually, if you go on online and you type in like the narrative lectionary, it'll take you to a place you can download uh, sort of a, a plan and you can know where we're going. Um, we're going to make that available on the website as well. So if you want to know what's coming next week, you can. Uh, and so we are in this first part of the Bible, which is called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And we're in Genesis chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'd invite you to stand if you can, and we will read starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and went with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised." And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar. He poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Pray with me. God, this morning as we come to your word, uh, we do so with uh, anticipation. Anticipation that you um, 
you're a God who continues to reveal yourself to us and you desire to do so, uh, that you come towards us. You are Emmanuel, the one who is with us. And so um, thank you for that gift that you are not far off and uh, hard to find, but uh, readily available. And so we pray that through your word this morning, you would um, do that, that you would uh, encourage us and visit us and remind us of who we are and who you are. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So if you don't know the story of the Bible very well, just before this, we have a story about uh, Jacob, and Jacob is the brother of Esau. And uh, his mother decides to, sort of in collusion together, to trick their father, Isaac, to give Jacob a blessing. He had already stolen a birthright early on, and so Jacob goes in like in sheep's clothing, literally, if you remember this story, and he goes in and he pretends to be his brother, and he gets the blessing, and then he basically flees for his life because his brother wants to kill him. Um, which is probably not the first or the last time that sentiment has ever happened between two brothers. Can I get an amen on that? Um, but I want to I draw out a couple of observations from this text this morning. This is one of my, uh, one of my favorite stories. We actually have a, a, a guy who came a while back um, who sort of does hand um, calligraphy and lettering of the Bible, and he drew this one for us. Jacob awoke from his sleep and, surely said, and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Um, so much here, and for whatever reason, this passage has resonated with me in a lot of ways. So I want to draw a few uh, observations from it before we move towards the table. And the first is this. Uh, I would say it this way, that waking up is not an assumption. Uh, Jesus often says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see, as if to say that hearing and seeing isn't an assumption. And I would say similarly, that this idea of waking up, it's not an assumption. It's not it's not assumed that everybody will do this or that everybody does do this. We, uh, we've just moved into a phase of our lives with our children where um, waking, them waking up isn't an assumption anymore. Sometimes I'll be like, where's Dahlia? And someone will say, she's still sleeping. And it's like 9 o'clock. And you're like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? But it's not an assumption that they're going to wake up on their own anymore. They, they sleep a lot. Waking up is not an assumption. Jacob woke up from his dream. And I want to suggest that the Bible is multidimensional. Uh, maybe said differently, that it's speaking on multiple layers all the time. Jacob woke up, literally. He was sleeping, and he woke up. Yes, that happened. But then there's also this sense in which he was asleep to something that he became aware of, that he woke up to. Uh, Egypt in the Bible, it's a physical place. You know, it's along the Nile, and it's literally a narrow place, but it's also figuratively and metaphorically a narrow place where our hearts can become stuck and captured and enslaved. Uh, Israel is a nation and the name of God's people, but it's also a, a, a way in which a person might relate to God. Uh, it means one who wrestles with God and man and is able. So there's this wrestling that's always happening in Israel and those who are the people of God. So it's a people, but it's also a way of being. Um, the mountain of God in the scriptures, Horeb or Sinai, it's literally a place where Moses you know, went up the mountain and Charlton Heston joined him. But it's also... a, a it's, it, it literally means a sword or destruction. And so when people find their way to the mountain of God, often something is being changed or shifted or cut away in their lives. So it's at once a place and also something that happens to one when they come to the mountain of God. So yes, Jacob woke up, but there's also something else going on here. He woke up, he wakes up to something else. And at a number of points in the Bible, we find this invitation to wake up. The prophet Isaiah says this, in uh, his, his book. He says, arise and shine. He's speaking to Israel here. 
For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and a thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings will bring brightness of your dawn. It's as if the prophet is saying, Israel, wake up. You are a light, to, to be a light on a hill, and the nations will come, and they will, they will, a light will emanate from you, but you have to wake up and live into it. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, a church very similar to ours, Paul writes to them, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the, the, the verse that influenced the naming of this church. Paul says to the church, Listen, gang, wake up. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. John, in the book of Revelation, writes to the church in Sardis, and he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words that you are to uh, of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, and you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. So again and again and again in the scriptures, we find this invitation to wake up, which assumes that these people are alive and they're living their lives, but they're still asleep. So it's at once something that happens. Jacob wakes up, and Jacob is waking up to something. He's becoming aware of something that he's not been aware of yet or to date. So I want to start this morning with a question. The question is this. Is there anywhere in your life that you're asleep? Is there any place in your life that maybe you've been lulled to sleep? Is there any sense in which you need to wake up to something? Any place where you're phoning it in? Where you've got it on autopilot? You're not being intentional or diligent? Maybe your marriage. Maybe the language you're using or choosing to use or the affection that you are maybe not giving or being intentional about. There's a sense of coasting that's happening in your relationship with your spouse. Is there any sense in which you need to wake up to be intentional and diligent about that which you promised to do. Maybe your relationship with your children. Honestly, as I was writing this week, uh, I was in Denver at a church planter's assessment, and so I spent some time uh, by myself out there, and as I was preparing and writing this, I typed this, and I was just arrested by typing it. You know, I'm in a place as a parent, my kids are 9, 10, and 13, and there's a very real sense in which I could say, man, Woo, that was tough. Hard work's over. <laughs> I hear all the older parents in the room laughing at me right now. You're like, you are not, you're just getting started, and it's only getting harder from here. But there's a very real sense in which the Lord just gently nudged me as a parent. Like, this is not the time to let off the gas. This is not the time to phone it in. This is not the time to be lulled to sleep as you parent your children, to continue to put their needs before yours. That was my word. Is there any sense in which the vows that you've made concerning your own sexuality and your purity of heart and mind, or you've been lulled to sleep? The church doesn't talk about this a lot, but we're all sexual beings, and that is a huge part of who we are. And there's a way in which God invites us to live that out. Is there any, is there any sense in which you're asleep to where you've just kind of been phoning it in and, and slowly but surely? I want to exhort you as your pastor, wake up. Don't be asleep on this stuff. It matters. What about your work or your education, your intimacy and your relationship with God? Is there any sense in which 
You've got it on autopilot. And I want to just stop as we begin this morning. Our life is filled with moments of waking up. I pray and I hope in this church exists because we long for people to wake up for the first time to come to the, conclu- come to the realization about who God is and the truth about Jesus and the, the, re- the resurrection of the Son of God. I want people to wake up to that for the first time. But I also hope and pray, and we started this church hoping and praying that there would be people who would be consistently, again and again and again, waking up to the ways in which God is inviting you to be the person and to be the people that God has made you and us to be together. And it doesn't happen, it's not an assumption. It takes intentionality, and it takes work, it takes diligence, it takes being vigilant and on on guard, so to speak in the very best sense. So it's not an assumption in the text, it's an invitation that one must respond to. And so I would just offer that to you this morning. Is there any sense in which the Spirit of God may be inviting you to wake up in a new way? I would say you could also point out from this passage that there's a quality of seeing that's required in the spiritual life. Let he who has eyes to see, let him see. Lift up your eyes and see the land I will show you, the land I will cause you to see. Lift up your eyes and see the mountain that I, God, will cause you to see. Again and again in Scripture, there's this invitation, this idea that there is seeing, but then there's, there's really seeing. And I want to suggest that there's a quality of seeing, a certain way of viewing the world and ourselves and God that's a part of the spiritual life that this passage is tapping into. Jacob wakes up from a dream and he declares, the Lord was here and I was not aware of it. I would argue that it's something that we must train ourselves to do. It's not only not natural just as humans, but arguably as like American Western individualists. Everything about our culture and our way of life goes against the way in which the scriptures are inviting us to see and the things that the scriptures are inviting us to see, right? Jesus talks about this all the time. He tells parables about seeing the kingdom of God, which is among you and within you and around you. And the metaphors that he uses are fascinating, right? It's like yeast. You can't see yeast at work, but it's doing its job silently and quietly on the inside. You can't see it happening, but you see the results of it. The kingdom of God and the work of God is like that. It often happens in the quiet places where no one sees it. But of course, everybody wants to see it. If we can't Instagram it, we're not interested in it, right? If we can't take a picture of it and show it to all our friends, this is the way the kingdom is. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds which grows into the largest of plants to give refuge for the animals and the birds of the air. It's the small things. It's the quiet places. He says it's like a seed which has to die and be buried under the ground before it comes to life and bears fruit. It's totally counterintuitive. You have to die in order to live. The spiritual life is an invitation to a certain kind of seeing. And it is counterintuitive. It is absolutely the opposite of the world we live in. In so many ways. If it's big, it's better. That's not the kingdom. That's not the gospel. If it's small and unseen, these are the places in which we find God at work. Right? You remember the story of Elijah. It's going to see God and it's not in the earthquake and it's not in the fire and it's not in the wind, but it's in the quiet still small voice of a babbling brook. Mark's gospel is, an, is like a giant example of seeing. If, you, if you're interested, I would encourage you, go read through Mark's gospel and notice who sees and who doesn't see. 
It's fascinating. The disciples, right? These people who are with Jesus all the time, they are next to him. They're sleeping right next to him. They're around him. They're eating with him. They're hearing these stories and these parables. They're seeing people healed and, and miracles happening. And it's these guys who often have the most questions. They, they rebuke the children who come to Jesus. They rebuke the woman who has, who's bleeding. They rebuke Bartimaeus, the blind guy. And fascinatingly, like the pinnacle of it all, the story of Bartimaeus. The disciples who can see, can't see. And Bartimaeus, who's blind, sees Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's wailing at the side of the road. The blind guy's the one that sees. And fascinatingly, he's aware of his own need. And he declares the truth about who Jesus is. And he sees. So in the story of Jacob and many others, seeing is not an assumption, but it's something that we must learn to develop and lean into. And I would just remind you, Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness. That the work of God in our lives, yes, there are mountaintops and there are valleys. There are moments that we will mark down in our journals, but there is a quiet and steadfast work that God is doing in us. And if we don't have eyes to see it, we might miss it. Surely the Lord was in this place, the last place Jacob would have assumed he would be, on the run, a liar, a cheater. And the Lord is in this place speaking to him if he has eyes to see. Let me offer one more observation from this text as we make our way to the table, which is this. I think one of the, one of the things that, we were, that we're reminded of in this story is that God is at work in places that we least expect it. And church, if I could just stop us for a moment and say that again, that God is often at work in the least expected places. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I'm convinced that this is true. The place that I don't expect God to be, I often will find God there if I have eyes to see it. And this is true in Scripture. If you remember in the Old Testament, in the story of Jonah, Jonah is told, go to the Assyrians and preach the good news about God to them. And if you know the story, the Assyrians are literally, they're awful people. They're terrible. If you're an Israelite, they're the, they're the enemy. They're the last people that you would want to be hanging out with and going and preaching good news to because they're oppressing you and killing you and imprisoning you. And so God says, go to the enemy. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother and my sister. Jonah is invited to go to the enemy's door and to offer grace to them. And Jonah, if you know the story, of course, he's like, no, this is, this is crazy. I'm not doing that. Through a bit of persuasion, Jonah makes his way to Assyria and preaches good news. And guess what happens? They all repent. Like if you're Jonah, it's like, dang it. The last place that you would expect God to be at work, and yet there they are, and there he is. The gospel's with Jesus. Again and again, over and over We find Jesus in all the wrong places. This is why the establishment hated him and wanted to kill him. He's with tax collectors, people who are Jewish by by birth, who are working for the the enemy, the Roman Empire, extorting their own fellow countrymen, taking their money. Jesus hangs out with them. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. 
I'm going to your house for dinner today. Prostitutes, women of ill repute, the Samaritan woman, the half-breeds in the north. Jesus is at a well. I don't think we can grasp how bonkers that story is. A Jewish rabbi would have never been there. And yet this is where we find Jesus. Bartimaeus the blind guy, the man with leprosy, the woman who's bleeding, all people who a person of Jesus' stature in nature would not have been hanging around or not have had time for. The children. God is often at work in the least expected places. I've told a little bit of this story, but in 2013, I had a chance to go to Israel. And so I went with a group of folks, and we were there. And prior to that, I, was, I had a season. Uh, we did that, the, the wilderness series last year during Advent. And I felt like my experience of God was like a dark cloud, just this thing, and I couldn't see anything, I didn't hear anything, I felt like I was in the desert. I, I wrote, I had a little prayer, like, cavern in my house, and I would write on the walls, which is why we do that here, because I thought that'd be fun. So I remember writing on the walls, like, God, I am in a desert, and I cannot he- hear you or see you, where are you? And as I went to Israel, I had this, this sense, this inclination that God might speak to me and meet me there, and I was just absolutely certain that it would be in the desert. Like, of course, it's in the desert where nothing is happening out there. And I would wander out into the desert and the Lord would speak, right? So I wandered out in the desert and nothing, nada, nunca. I saw a Bedouin and some camels. That's about it. (laughs) This guy, actually one time we were sitting out there for this little blessing ceremony and this guy, like, bopping along on a camel um, and he comes up to our, our little group and he starts, like, saying something and it must have been Arabic and our translator, we're like, what did he say? What did he say? And he's like, he's wondering if anybody has seen his camels. <laughs> we're like, this is awesome. Like, you can't make this stuff up, right? It's perfect. So I'm wandering out, around out there, nothing. I hear nothing. And it's in the last place I would have expected it. In like the middle of Jerusalem on a Monday, which is when all the bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs come, and they hire merrymakers and horns and trumpets and cymbals and drums. Everyone is dancing. There's thousands of people around at the, at the, the Temple Mount. And it's here in this moment, amidst all the chaos and all the noise, where I last expected to see or hear from God, that God met me. Question for you this morning. With whom... Or where would you be surprised to find God at work? As you think about your own life, with whom or where would you least expect to find God at work? Think about the person who you've written off. Think about the person who's wounded you, caused trauma in your life. Can you imagine a scenario in which God might be at work in that person's heart or life? If we know anything about the work of God in Scripture, we know that it's in unexpected places that we find God's Spirit at work, moving and hovering over the chaos and the waters where new creation and new things begin. Maybe there's a group of people that you think are living in sin. I would suggest that it's probably likely that God is at work, moving doing something there. Maybe there's a group of people whose ideologies or political convictions you think are just abhorrent or ridiculous for people who follow God. Is it possible that God would be found at work there? Jacob was surprised to find God 
present in the place that he found himself. And I want to invite you to consider this morning, is there anywhere or with anyone whom you would be surprised, maybe even delighted, to know and find out that the Spirit of God is at work and moving in their midst? Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Is there anything you need to wake up to? Is there any way in which you've been lulled to sleep? Is there a quality of seeing that you're being invited into to stop and to notice the small things that are being done, that are happening, that often go overlooked? And is there anyone or any place that you would be surprised to find God at work? Surely the Lord is in that place, and we were not aware of it. Let me offer a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to a time of silence and then an invitation to come to the table, which maybe is a, a fitting way to close our gathering. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning, as we hear this story again, or maybe for the first time, I pray that it would do its work in us, that by your Spirit you would, like a breeze, blow through this building, and that you would catch us wherever we are. Maybe it's needing to wake up to something, Holy Spirit, gently prompt us. Help us, to, help us to hear that voice. Maybe it's not missing or seeing the things that are happening around us and among us and within us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a group of people who we would not expect to find you, where we would not expect to find you. So in the next few moments of silence, we trust you, Holy Spirit, that you're here, that you're among us and, and near us, and so we entrust ourselves and our hearts to you as much as we can. So speak to us now. Church of Jesus, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter by Awakening Community. See you next time.